Welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for all of your support on Patreon making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate. Relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, just general sex. I talk with old friends. I even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory where I was born and currently live. So settle in for an intimate conversation. I sat down with my friend Lauren recently. She's a recovered alcoholic who has a really interesting story and a really interesting relationship with sex and relationships in general that has changed radically from when she was an addict to who she is now. In fact, it's changed radically through rediscovering who she is and what she wants as a sober woman. We touch on kink and daddy doms, as well as Lauren's experience of self-identified sex addiction. So, you know, controversial, but the focus here is on compulsion rather than desire. Some folks have a pretty strong position on whether or not sex addiction, sex addiction is even a thing. All I'll say on the matter is if someone identifies, like self-identifies their own experience, my default is to validate and encourage them to talk about it. So with that in mind, let's go and listen to Lauren talk about all that stuff here on Intimate Interactions. Like, <laughs> just like the kind of odyssey I've been on. Oh, yeah. Um, through especially getting sober and how my sexuality has changed so drastically. But, like, I don't know if some of it would be um, controversial to talk about or not, just with some of the experiences I've had in the kink community and stuff like Honestly, that. Honestly, you can trash or praise whatever behaviors you want to. <laughs> like, I have my opinions on it, but, like, ultimately... Yeah. Yeah. You know, ultimately yeah. people are going to, they're going to have their experiences and have their feelings and their, their valid yeah. feelings. So like, I wouldn't want you to feel like you couldn't speak your mind and say your piece. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's not even really specific people or anything like that. It's, it's, it's been an interesting journey kind of, um, going through the last couple of well, years for sure. Do yeah. you want to talk about, um, sobriety and sexuality first, and then we can move into your one year anniversary as like a second podcast episode? Sure. Just because yeah. I'm, I'm missing my partner and definitely feeling like having a conversation about sex and sexuality. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Um, we can start there if you want. Do you want to start us off? Sure. So you were talking about um, how your sexuality has changed over getting sober and mm-hmm. how different your sexuality was yeah. before. And I'm super interested yeah. in hearing more about it. Yeah. Um, what I've come to learn in this kind of journey of, um, well, also going through a lot of like trauma therapy and a lot of therapy and taking that seriously for the first time in my life, mm-hmm. um, I've learned, well, number one, that sex, uh, sexual addiction went hand in hand with me through, um, drug and alcohol addiction for sure. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, I kind of, um, <laughs> I think I kind of realized that um, as I was going, but, you know, (laughs) generally if I could, you know, snort it, smoke it, drink it, or fuck it, I was, I was in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it kind of same, it followed the same pathology for me. And I started recognizing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, 
it, it started getting to the point where I couldn't separate sex from um, drinking and drugging. And I think I kind of just went with it because I was like, this is just where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a number of years where I don't think I had sober sex probably once. Wow. Um, except for a handful of occasions where I needed to be sober because I was with, you know, um, a dom that required it or something like that, right? Right. Um, I had a handful of very wonderful, caring daddy doms and um, and experiences in and around Vancouver mm-hmm. that were wonderful. And I really treasure those experiences. And they were with people who, you know, either I hid my addiction from and that was just not part of our experience together. And I'd have, you know, mostly sober nights with those people. Right. And by sober nights, I mean, we'd have a couple drinks and I wouldn't binge. Right. right. Uh, um, but those were pretty few and far between. And for the most part, um, for me in and out of relationships, it was, um, it was just a lot of, um, a lot of tindering, a lot of, you know, nameless, faceless one night stands, a lot of picking up in the bar, um, unfortunately, you know, adultery or, you know, being unfaithful is definitely part of my story. Um, do you, on my, do you mean for yourself, sorry. like being unfaithful to yeah. your partners? Oh, I see. I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's something I've, um, owned up to and taken responsibility for, mm-hmm. um, through, you know, this, this journey of growth. Um, and you know, I've had partners be unfaithful to me as well. And, mm-hmm. um, it's just, yeah, it's funny because like in my current relationship now, um, and what was great was because when we first started seeing each other, you know, he's in recovery too. I think on the first date we even were like, or the first hangout, we were so open about it. Right. You know, we both confessed to each other like, yeah, we've been unfaithful in the past. It was definitely tied to our addiction. It's not the, you know, that's not the person who we want to be. And I have like, you know, I, thinking about being unfaithful in this place that I inhabit now, mm-hmm. it, it's just like not even a concept I would entertain. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm able to kind of relinquish the shame and guilt I carry about that because I know I've, I've kind of taken away the parts of me and I've changed that mindset, um, that would allow me to do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely part of my story. Um, I think for me, sex in the beginning when I was younger um, was definitely like a means to validation and self-worth. Sure. As it is for, I think, a lot of people. And because I started drinking and using really young, there, you know, there was definitely... Overlap. There's definitely, oh yeah, huge overlap. And and thinking back to so many sexual um, situations, I can see now like how damaging it was. And at the time I thought it was okay, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and there's definitely been sexual trauma in my past as well. And I kind of, you know, that grew and mutated for me to a point of, you know, trying to please people Mm -hmm. in such a sick way, right? To the point that like, you know, when I finally, you know, hit my bottom, I mean, I fell through so many sexual bottoms. Mm -hmm. Um, it's... (sighs) Yeah, it's, it's a little shocking even to me sometimes thinking about some of the things that happened. Um, but, you know, they say in addiction, your your behavior falls so far below your standards. 
and like your moral standards that you have for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you just, you see it happening, but you just don't really have a way of controlling it. And I, and that started happening. To me so very... in terms of moral standards, you mean like you behave in ways where you hurt people? Yeah. And I hurt myself. Yeah, right. absolutely. A lot of, I remember somebody telling me a couple years ago that rest, um, reckless sex was a form of self-harm and that hit me so hard. And I, I realized that that really was very true to what was happening with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, allowing myself to be taken advantage of in certain position or certain ways, you know, going to certain places, knowing that the obligation would be sex um, and not wanting it, but doing it anyway um, for, you know, because, you know, I wanted to go and be where the party was, where the drugs were, you know, never having a ton of money. That's just kind of, that was just like the unwritten agreement oh, that I just yeah. signed the contract of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of would mentally check out and I never enjoyed it, but there's this strange mania that takes over where sex and the drugs, especially my drugs of choice, which were stimulants, right. sex and drugs become so intertwined that as soon as I would take those stimulants, I'd want to have sex, but I would never enjoy it. And that's, I think, where the sexual addiction came in. Right. right? Because, because you felt the compulsion to do it without the desire absolutely. to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So being in sobriety, like (laughs) trying to figure all that out, like, what do I actually like? Who am I sexually? What do I actually want in a sexual partner? And and more importantly, what do I want in a sexual relationship with myself? Right. You know, so it's been kind of this journey of realizing that, A, I'm, you know, in sobriety. um, If I was ever to go back into it, kink kind of situation it would be radically different from right because i have a lot more self-respect now actually i think the truer statement would be i have self-respect now um and and in a lot of ways in the past being submissive being um i was a self-proclaimed masochist to the point that actually i i never like found my pain barriers and that's because i think i used pain as a form of feeling right because i was just so numb all the time right right and it would actually scare people because i wouldn't you know uh, i was always pushing it too far as in everything i was always taking shit too far right um right and i and now i think that behavior sorry to interrupt i think that behavior in submissives is tolerated a lot more it's very much not tolerated in dominance no exactly and there were so many situations where i think had it been known why i was um asking for and wanting the things that i wanted and asked for uh it wouldn't have been given to me because you know the motivations behind it were were coming from somebody who was sick um you know i was just trying so desperately to feel to feel any form of connection and i could not do that right Um, So I take it to extremes and there definitely is a part of me that enjoys certain play. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think I'm definitely a lot more vanilla than I ever thought I was truly. Interesting. (laughs) Because yeah, it's been a, it's been a really interesting kind of reawakening. And I will say like in my sober life, I am like um, much less hypersexualized than I was. Um, I am a lot more, I, I want more affection. I want more tenderness. You know, 
um, I don't really want to fuck anymore. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've fucked enough. <laughs> and and every time I was doing that, it was kind of taking a little piece of me. And I'm I'm just I never want to give those pieces away ever again. You know? I'm, I'm so curious. Yeah. Why do you feel like when you had sex, you were losing pieces of yourself? I don't know if you want to talk about it, but if you do, I'm curious to tease apart some nuance there. Yeah. Because I was so detached from myself in so many sexual situations, even if I was with a partner, because when I was with a partner, I was generally high or drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel I felt so detached from myself and I felt like this insatiable need for something that ultimately I just wasn't going to achieve or ever be happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel like that part of me that just needs and just, you know, wants to fill something inside of myself that's missing. Every time I had sex with somebody to try and fill that, it just felt so, you know, afterwards it would just feel so wrong, you know? And and I'd look back at like, you know, the way I was behaving and the way I, you know, I would compromise a big part of who I thought I should be if I had self-respect. Well, there's a, there's a lot there that you just said in that last sentence. So, yeah. I mean, like, if you don't mind me asking questions, I'm okay. Um, Because it's also okay if you're like, Victor, I don't want to talk about this. (laughs) We can totally move on. You know, honestly, like, it's, it's, I think it's something that so many women in addiction um, go through and deal with most of so many women I know in recovery um, have felt these things and they don't talk about it openly and some of them do and I have such respect for the women that do um, and it's it's you know it's stuff I've been working on for you know a year now yeah. like heavily um, so it's it's nothing that is going to trigger me and if, if something does I'll let you yeah, know yeah and we can definitely talk through that handle that we don't have to you know publish the episode if you have an issue with it i'm happy scrapping it even after we've recorded it i appreciate that yeah um well it's i think respect is really important and like that's Mm -hmm. part of respect is like giving people the ability to withdraw consent and be like you know what actually that was a terrible idea i now want to apply for a certain job and i would like you to do your best to get it off the internet (laughs) and i'll be like well the internet never forgets but i can take it off my podcast um Yeah. So you said a few things that sort of struck a chord with me. One of them is this idea of compromise, like that because you did, did a thing that you, you know, are in a position now where you're like, I would never do that sober. That's not me. That that in Mm -hmm. some way compromises you or do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like to me, it, I mean, if you, if you aren't dealing with any permanent effects of that physically, then the only effects are psychological. And if that's the case, like we're neuroplastic, we can do various types of somatic and, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. And there's, there's so much we can do to change our mental framing of things. So I suppose my, Mm -hmm. my question in there is around, you were talking about who you should be or who you think you should be. And I think it's really important to have, you know, a sense of who you are and standards for like what behavior is right for you. Um, yeah. And at the same time, like it's, it's really hard for me to say because I feel like I'm like sober splaining addiction to you, which I'm not trying to do. <laughs> um, but, but I guess what I'm saying is like 
on the flip side, now that you are sober, like I don't think who you mm-hmm. were in addiction compromises who you are now or like changes that. And I can't like I have a hard time thinking of anything you could have done sexually that would have in any way like like cheapened you as a human being. Like I almost feel like there's some femme socialization happening here where like there's yeah. this piece that you got as a girl that I didn't get when I was growing up as a boy around like mm-hmm. sex devaluing who we are. And I'm like, I don't think you're devalued yeah. in the least because you went and fucked a whole bunch when you weren't sober. I'm like, you're still who yeah. you are today. And and I agree with you in sobriety. Absolutely. But at the time, that's how I felt. Sure, sure. Sure. And that's valid. Yeah. 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 But no, I've, uh, I've gained a whole uh, different understanding. Um, and I think, you know, the only thing, like you said, I've done a lot of, of work and progression on, on, um, where I'm at now, where I'm at now, I'm comfortable with myself, you know, and, and I don't feel compromised and, uh, um, I've been able to move on from that. And I think looking back, the only thing that really lingers for me, um, is just some sadness of, of the person who was dealing with that and feeling those things, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the time, absolutely. That's how I felt. Yeah. I, I absolutely felt I devalued for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in a culture, um, where, you know, it was so common for me to be able to just, you know, hook up with somebody and then never talk to that person away. Right. It made me feel disposable and it made me feel like I was treating people disposably as well. Sure. Um, and, and that I don't like, you know, and I, and of course I'm all like Tinderellaing and I'm, you know, that's fine. It's just the way it is. Um, but no, I, I, you know, like so many things in addiction, I didn't like what I was doing. I just didn't know any other way. And I definitely didn't know who I was. Right. So, you know, (laughs) I guess you you try a lot of different things when you don't really know who you are. Totally. Yeah, it it can be it can be a a ride for sure. I I can also respect that idea that if you don't like yourself, like the idea of having an intimate relationship with yourself is scary. Then the idea of letting someone else see who you are in an intimate way is like equally scary and I can see the desire for avoidance there for sure. Oh yeah. And avoidance is the entire thing. I mean, talk about a double life. I, looking back over any relationships I've had, I don't think anyone actually knew who I was. Wow. I, I mean, how could they have? Because I didn't know who right. I was. And like, I feel like if I was to meet, you know, I had, I had one breakup. Um, that was particularly very hard and kind of that breakup was around February of 2020. And that was like the beginning of my, my real spiral, um, getting into some pretty scary territory, you know, where the wheels really came off Mm -hmm. and that relationship, like, um, I thought, you know, I was so in love with this person and all of our, um, relationship revolved around drugs and alcohol use, but it was just the two of us together against the world. I think I spoke about that a bit, you know, like some trauma bonding between us. Oh yeah. Um, oh, I'm yeah. familiar and... with trauma bonding. <laughs> yeah. I think we, we spoke about that last time <laughs> uh, and you had to explain it to me. And then <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, yep, that's <laughs> You're like, I've done that. Um, <laughs> isn't that what all relationships are? <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> I am very happy to find out, but, um, um oh i forget where i was going i'm sorry i derailed you that relationship right um i yeah he he had no idea who i was if i met him now um and and sat down and spoke to him and had a real conversation for 20 30 minutes i don't think he would have any idea like i don't think i would resemble the person who i was Mm -hmm. aside from just physically a bit of humor or some anecdotes you know 
I feel so different from the person I was in that relationship. Um, and it, it kind of makes me realize just how much of a double life I've led, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. It definitely sounds it's, like you've kind of led life with your amplifier turned up to like 11. Yeah. But the, <laughs> that's a good way you know, if society isn't accepting anything over a 10, then everything with the 11 kind of gets hidden in like almost a separate persona or like, this is who I am only some of the time. Yeah. And not even realizing I was doing that. But you know, the the flip side of that, that it, it sounds like other people's lives on 11 in some respects. Like it's, you know, you hear like when I talk with, I, I are you in your thirties? I'm 32. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm turning 35 in September and I, I definitely have friends who are, you know, 30 year old women. I'm dating a, a 30 year old, um, partner as well but uh the point of all of that is i've heard so many femmes tell me in their 30s about this idea of a sexual renaissance about having sex with people who they were like take it or leave it like yeah i can have sex do i really want to have sex i mean i guess because it's really validating and i feel like i'm you know worthwhile and like i'm happy to be close to this person but like is the sex itself pleasurable meh and then at a certain point, that isn't good enough anymore. And the feminine question is like, I would really like to start having orgasms. And more often, yeah. like not like 40 yeah. minutes to maybe have one, but like I kind of yeah. just want like 20 minutes focused on me to just actually get off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no perfect world. Um, and, and that's something that I'm working towards being able to ask, you know, mm-hmm. of myself and a partner. And before... Um, you know, it was just so all about pleasing the other person mm-hmm. um, because that was where my self-worth was, especially in a in a drug um, induced state. Like, yeah, um, thinking back on it is it's pretty it's pretty crazy how, you know, now the thought like I can actually say, oh, I don't feel like having sex. I don't think I want to right now. You That's know? awesome. And, like I, the next time I have sex, you know, with my partner, it's going to be, you know, because I feel like having sex. And, um, whereas in the past it was like, well, it's, it's either going to be obligatory or it's going to be, um, like, I know what's going to happen at the end of this night. Right. And I guess I just better get, get my kicks in before I have to deal with that and detach. And that, that happened a lot, a lot more than I, I kind of realized that was happening because that's not something that I really even thought about at the time. It's crazy how denial (laughs) works and how detachment works. Normalization Um, just being like, Oh my God. Like I, I avoid until I have to dissociate because like, what else is there? Like, that's just life. And then at a certain point you're like, it's not just life. Other people don't do this. Mm -hmm. Like what? No, my gosh. And that's crazy to me. Um, or that was crazy to me when I first started, cause you know, there'd be so many people on my phone who would hit me up and, and I would get excited about going over there. Right. But I would be excited because I knew that there would be the things there that I wanted to do. Not because I wanted to have sex with this person. Right. And, you know, you know, looking at the majority of these guys, they're just normal dudes, but they're addicts as well. Sure. Um, And it's not like these people were grotesque at all, but it didn't really matter. It didn't matter what they looked like or you know, anything like and that. The feeling, it was just the fact the that feeling may this is just something. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So just the fact that like, I know that this is probably what's expected of me. So I'll just do, I'll just deal with that when the time comes. And I, and I can remember multiple times 
you know, just trying to push it off and push it off until inevitably, you know, it's going to happen and, and going through the motions of being like, yes, I enjoy this. Yes, I wanted this. Um, and, and convincing myself that that's true because that's just the thing that happened. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, and the knowledge that I never have to do that ever again. And, and, you know, it's not like it, anyone was forcing me. This is just what I was doing. Right? Yeah. Compulsion's a fucked um, up thing. Yeah, it is. It super is. It's kind of like raping yourself almost, which sounds bad, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like I was unwilling, but I was the one pushing myself to do it. Yeah, I right. honestly, I don't even know how to frame that. Like, I wish I, it's hard I wish I had a better framing or like, <laughs> you know, like folks often talk about like really traumatic stuff on my podcast and, and I, I like having some platitude that I can share that'll make it sound a little better, but I'm like <laughs> compulsion and addiction is yeah. just like at face value. It kind of mm -hmm. is what it is. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't have anything to add. Like, and you know what? I think trauma is different for everybody because mm -hmm. they, that's not, that wasn't, um, I don't carry that as trauma. Right. Um, I carry that as the compulsion attached to my addiction and just, you know, the, the ramifications of sexual addiction in, in, you know, dealing in, and living in active addiction. Um, trying so, so hard not to make a ramifications joke. Go on. <laughs> Like you had to choose, did, you so. had to choose that word, but I'm like, fair enough. I didn't even think about that. That was funny. Oh, I guess your story, you get to choose whatever words you want. It was just really funny that you said yeah. the ramifications of sexual addiction and, and the like ram the like six year old in me was like, ha, ramification. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I don't carry those as, as traumas. I just carry those as memories of, um, a life I lived where, mm those were the compulsions I lived with and those were the things that I did, you know, and obviously I don't, I don't live in shame with it because I'm talking about it openly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's really positive. That's um, what Brenny Brown says. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I, you know, I have enough stuff to kind of like process as trauma. Those, those can just, those are, those are okay. <laughs> We've, you know, I've done a lot of work surrounding a lot of it. And, and I think, you know, for me, the biggest part is just moving forward and living a different way and being in control of, you know, what and who I want to do what and where with, or, you know, yeah. that didn't really make my sense, but you, you understand. I, no, I think it made complete sense. I just thought you were going to say like what and who you want to be and do versus who you, you want to do. I was like, you also get to control that. Yeah. That's not where I thought you were yeah. going, <laughs> but I did understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So that's exciting. Like you're, you're going from this place of lack and sadness and just like mm -hmm. confusion is what it sounds like to yeah. me. Um, and you're moving into this place of, you know, more knowing and just like a stronger, more centered almost place. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a much, um, it's funny because, you know, anyone who's known me for a long period of time, like very close friends, they would tell you that I was a very sexual person. I was a very sexually liberated person. Um, I was, you know, um, I guess promiscuous, you know, they'd use all these terms. Sure. Um, and I would wear those as badges of honor, not so much badges of honor, but I'd use, I'd use those terms as kind of like weapons. So it's like, 
you, you know, you can call me something and I, I give you one of those terms. Right. Um, and so I think it's definitely would surprise a lot of those people now to know me in sobriety right. and know how, how my sexuality, which had always been a very like, um, I don't know what's the word, like centerized part of who I was. Mm. Um, now it's kind of just in the orbit of everything, you know, and that's been something that has been surprising for me. It's kind of fun when you can, um, start being surprised about things you find out about yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Oh, you know, instead of just knowing it, you start, you know, discovering and finding out, um, that for me, uh, yeah, sexuality is definitely still a very important part of who I am, but it's no longer the center focus. It's no longer a shield I have to wear. It's no longer something that I need to defend, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just been so many different areas of my life I've been able to focus on and kind of let that just let whatever happens um, bloom over time, Mm -hmm. I guess. So that's exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's really nice. I'm really happy to hear how that story ended. <laughs> yeah. Me too, man. <laughs> Me too. No more crying in the shower. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not about that anyways. It still happens, but that's just being a human. Yeah, that's fair. I think it, yeah, what matters is, is what you're crying about in the shower. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. That is, um, there's a lot to take in. Um, I yeah. appreciate you voicing it. It's like um, Brenny Brown's talking about in terms of shame, like being able to speak shame with someone who's supportive and, yeah. you know, appreciates you and is able to see the good in you. Like that has such an amazing ability to dispel shame. Yeah. And it really has been talking about it. That's helped dispel it. Like I um, I'm in a, a female um, group um, through it's like through a, a support group, um, mm-hmm. female step group with, with some really amazing, fantastic women. And, you know, we've um, been able to talk openly and freely about that. And I've been able to kind of, I had a, I had a share where I was just like, I'm, I'd like to come out as a vanilla person <laughs> in the past. I've come out as a kinky person. And now I'd like to reintroduce myself uh, in a more vanilla shade than would be expected. Um, I'm super curious after- to ask about the daddy dom situations that you mm-hmm. mentioned were really supportive at the time. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I was going through, I, I, I split up with a long-term, um, partner five years, almost six years. Um, and I was very, not repressed, but definitely, you know, was not a ton of what I thought I needed at the time, which was experimentation. And Mm -hmm. I kind of just went a little crazy after that. (laughs) Um, and um, I was kind of just like spreading my wings, I guess, in certain regards, sexually. And um, I also, you know, I had a lot of internalized trauma and I had, you know, mm-hmm. uh, things that had happened when I was, you know, in my younger 20s that I just wasn't able to face. And I think I just, uh, I found somebody who was able to really heal a lot of hurts with a very loving approach. So it's almost like that, that daddy dom kind of situation actually helped a lot even though you didn't end up staying in the kink world yeah yeah i i hold that relationship um which was i think probably about 
four to six months, mm -hmm. um, not exclusive, but I think that was the time that we were seeing each other. I hold that in such high esteem. You know, not 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 everything I was doing all the time was shady. I still you know, <laughs> sure <laughs> things progress at, after a certain amount of time, but it, at that time in my life, um, I think I was about twenty nine. Um, yeah, it, that was that was such a gentle, um, gentle relationship between him and I. That's really sweet. And he was able to really heal a lot of hurts for me that he. I don't think he even realized he was healing. You know? I'm sure you could still talk to him. Could... Be like, hey, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Also, yeah, I should come I out as vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm entirely vanilla. I think it's a sliding yeah, scale. Yeah, of course. But um, I, I definitely was a hypersexualized addiction. Sure, right? sure. So, but um, yeah, I mean, there definitely were people I met along the way that were really wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm able to hold really special um, memories of, of different things. It's funny how there are silver linings. So, uh, yeah, uh, for everything. I mean, I could look back at my years in addiction. I mean, I, 17 years. And, um, you know, in the beginning years, not anywhere near as bad as the ending years, of course, but still not normal. Sure. And it's easy to kind of paint a broad stroke of black over all of that, mm -hmm. you know, but that's just not the way it is. There was still great vacations and good times and, you know, good friendships that held through. Um, but it's, you know, our brains are kind of black and white when it comes to, um, memories in the past, right? Yeah, everything was either all shit all the time or all great. So it just depends on what mood I'm in, I guess. <laughs> but I try to always, um, you know, when I'm starting to think about, when I start getting into my, into my memories and start feeling some, some anxieties or, you know a few times that I still deal with some shame and some guilt. Yeah. I have to remember the good too. Totally. Yeah. Sometimes I think that's a good lesson for a lot of folks to try and remember the good when they're feeling the shame and just to remember the things that they're doing really well. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting about this. Did you have any closing comments? Uh, no, not really. I'm just, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being on the show. So how did you like it, Intimates? Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com forward slash Intimate Victor, or tweet at me at Intimate Victor, or follow my Instagram at, guess what, Intimate Victor. Pretty easy, right? If you can spare the cost of coffee to help keep the show going, head to patreon.com forward slash Victor Salmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours to enjoy. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a review anywhere online, especially iTunes. The opening music is Gymnopédie Number no. 1 by Eric Satie, and this closing music is on hold for you, made of algorithmically generated notes and chords, and played by an AI saxophonist. Both are provided royalty-free, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time, and may all of your most important relationships be filled with intimate interactions. Be well. <laughs>